0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 28 of Retired Racehorse Radio on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Cashel Products. Retired Racehorse Radio is your guide to the adoption, adoption, care and training of the Retired Racehorse brought to you in cooperation with the Retired Racehorse Project and New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program.
2: Today on Retired Racehorse Radio, Jen Reutz, the Executive Director of the Retired Racehorse Project, joins us with an update of the coronavirus in the horse world and how Thoroughbred Makeover contestants can continue to prepare their horses during it. Lynn Reardon from Loeb Horse Rescue tells us how their program not only helps retired thoroughbreds and quarter horses transition from racing to their second careers, but also how they're educating youth on horsemanship while doing it. And of course, New Vocation brings us another Adaptable Horse of the Week. Stay tuned.
3: And they're off on
1: Retired Racehorse Radio, the podcast that is your guide to the adoption, care, and training of the
2: retired racehorse. This is Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. And this is Joy Hills from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and you're listening to Retired Racehorse Radio.
1: How you holding in there, Joy? Are you you working from home? What's your situation looking like these days?
2: I am working from home. Michigan just enacted their stay at home policy and I'm loving it. I know other people are (laughs) nervous and I'm like, I am an introvert. I have been training for this moment my entire life to work from home in pajamas, to go riding when I want during the day, be with my dogs. And if I want to have a beer at noon, well, gosh darn it, I can. Amen, I'm sister. ready for this. How about hey. you? How are you surviving?
1: Yeah, I know you, your husband deployed and thank you for his service. So, so you're home alone. Whereas my husband is basically the opposite of deployed where he is now home. Oh. And I'm also uh, with a child who's six, who has no school. So I'm riding a lot.
2: Yeah, <laughs> And warm of, weather's coming, you know, let's throw I, that positive. I don't really care. This. I don't. It's
1: raining. <laughs> I'm riding. I just have to get out of this house. So, so I, I'm just. It's amazing how many times people want to eat food. I'm like, I'm like, get a dang sandwich. Like, make figure. It out. So, so in honor of all of the people that are quarantined right now, we have come up with a really exciting. Uh, we're not gonna do it every time. But I found this and I... a special occasion. It's a special (laughs) occasion. And I'm going to make this tonight because this is something for you guys to keep up your health. Okay? This will keep you going. Meet the Quarantini.
2: I love it. Tell us what's in it. Tell us
1: what's in it. Oh, my God. It's so good. Okay. So the Quarantini is something that you need to keep you healthy. Okay? Mm -hmm. What you're going to need is some lemon, some honey, and you know, everybody's favorite thing, vodka or gin, you know, however you like your, your martinis, but you can use vodka or gin. And then, you know, you get your little like ice shaker if you have one of those and you pour however much vodka that you would like into the shaker. And then you put like squeeze, you know, some lemon into it and you squeeze some honey into it. I mean, that's screaming health, but let's say you have a martini glass, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to moisten the top of the martini glass. And this is the part that's really going to get it. You take a vitamin C pack and you turn over your martini glass into the
2: the vitamin C pack and you rim the glass with vitamin C pack. Gosh, that's genius. It's basically preventative healthcare. Your doctor would approve. I mean, it's
1: amazing. So you've got vitamin C pack, rumming the glass, and then you've got the vodka, which obviously it's going to kill germs and it's going to boost your immune system with the honey and the vitamin C in it. I mean, how can you lose?
2: I think it's a great idea, and I also will be doing that tonight. That sounds Doesn't amazing. That sound amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you're welcome, everybody. Yes. Have fun with that. Well, we have a we have an awesome show. A really, I feel like an educating show tonight. I learned a lot doing some of these interviews. I, I did a couple of the interviews. You did a couple. Of, it was just mm-hmm. awesome. We both learned a lot from each other and from our guests. So hang in there. Stick around. First, before we get to our first interview, let's hear from Kentucky Performance Products.
4: She swallowed hard as they walked into the start box she could feel his muscles tense under her leg five four three two one have a great ride she didn't have to ask he galloped out of the box and across the field toward their first training level course his ears pricked her heart pounded he attacked each obstacle with confidence clearing them with room to spare A huge smile broke out on her face as she crossed through the finish flags. She leaned forward and buried her face in his neck. Their bond of love and trust blocked out all else. This love story is brought to you by Elevate, research proven to have superior bioavailability. Elevate supplies the essential vitamin E often missing from the equine diet. Its all-natural formula supports healthy muscle and nerve functions. The horse that matters to you, matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today.
2: Well, we are so lucky to have Jen Reutz, the director of the Retired Racehorse Project, back to give us some very important updates of the thoroughbred makeover. Jen, welcome to the show. Hey,
3: how are you doing?
2: Oh, it's a crazy time to be a horseman in some ways, you know, kind of being in social distancing has been great to spend extra time with my horses because there aren't a lot of people at the barn, but at other times it's a lot of unknowns right now. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. How have you guys been managing at the Retired Racehorse Project?
3: Um, you know, in a lot of ways, just like everyone else, we're just trying to find our new normal, you know, and mm-hmm. for a lot of us, that means working at home and then figuring out how to do things differently. Um, Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting, I feel like a year from now and look back to see how much has changed in all of our professional lives and our personal lives because of the changes that were forced by COVID-19. Like if if more people work remotely long-term or if there's just different ways we do things or think of things. But as far as our RP is concerned, you know, we're just we're trying to plan and pivot as best as we can. You know, we Mm -hmm. were supposed to be at equine affair Mm -hmm. up in Columbus and have a booth and do some stuff up there. Obviously that got canceled as did Land Rover, unfortunately, where we have a booth and we do demos and a tailgate and all that. Mm -hmm. So short term, it's kind of like everyone else. We're just kind of, you know, finding our way and, and respecting all of the guidelines the CDC and state governments are putting out. We're also just trying to, you know, put as much out there as we can for horsemen to try to help them make the most of the restrictions that are put in place. It seems like
2: that's hitting really hard with all the shows canceled and you stuff having to cancel everything for the next 30 days. How is that affecting from what you've seen the horse economy in a way?
3: Yeah. You know, it, it definitely is having an effect to be completely candid. You know, I do a lot in aftercare outside of the RRP as well as through the RRP, but, you know, more at the national level and my fiance and I have racehorses and, and a couple brood mares as well. So we kind of see that side of it as well. So we're seeing with all these track closures and, you know, race cancellations, the trainers at the lower level, some of them, you know, they live paycheck to paycheck, just like a lot of other Americans. Um, mm-hmm. And they're having to retire horses that maybe would have re- been retired later in the year. They're just having to kind of make that decision, retire them now. So that's creating an influx of horses into the aftercare sector. A lot of a lot of the rehoming agents that I've talked with on the backsides of tracks, especially that are hit the hardest, you know, tracks like Evangeline where horsemen were told they need to get off of the backside as quickly as possible and move their horses and make other arrangements or, you know, other tracks like turf paradise and Delta downs, you know, like they're having to make other arrangements. So mm-hmm. it is going to mean an influx of horses into the market. We're trying to do that, do as much as we can to, Support in that transition at the RRP. So, we have the classified section on our website where people can list horses available for sale or adoption. Um, We took off the paywall. Normally, you have to be a member of the RRP to list a horse there. And an annual membership is $45, but we've done away with that for the time being. So, anyone can list a horse there that is in need of rehoming. We're also making um, contracts available. You know, we all know. The importance of whenever you rehome a horse, whether you're the buyer or the seller, you should have a contract in place that protects the horse and it protects both parties involved. And so we made sure we have contracts available if someone doesn't have the means to have a contract drafted for them by a lawyer. We've got one that has been drafted by our RP's lawyer that we're making available to people as well. And then we're just trying to also work with our partners in aftercare. The Thoroughbred Charities of America, Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, Thoroughbred Incentive Program, the National Horsemen's Benevolent and Protective Association, and just trying to come together to see what we can do on a national level, too, to support horsemen and also to support the people who are taking these horses on if they retire from the track. So we're also thinking about that as well. And just, you know, it's it's too early to know if or how that would affect the makeover, but it's affecting how people are preparing their makeover horses and just their horses in general if the makeover is not their goal. So we're trying to do a lot on social media and our YouTube channel and through mm-hmm. our different communication platforms to give people helpful ideas so they can still make the most of their time with their horses, even if they're not able to go to competitions or go off site, Mm -hmm. you know, different ideas they can do at home. So they're still making progress.
2: That was going to be my next question because you guys just announced all your trainers who were accepted in the makeover. There's a lot of high energy at the beginning of February and now it's kind of this unknown. What are some of the things you are suggesting that people do as they prepare for the makeover?
3: You know, I mean, it's, Still haven't seen the government in the U.S. put any restrictions on working with your horses or riding your horses. We've heard Mm -hmm. about that happening a little bit in a few European countries, just because Mm -hmm. horses is a more dangerous activity typically than like golf or badminton. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're trying to, you know, keep the risk low so people aren't going to the hospitals for things outside Mm -hmm. of like the absolute emergencies that couldn't have been helped. But in America, we're not dealing with that thankfully, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. So things we're suggesting are, you know, keep working with your horses, find new ways to work with your horses, whether it's, you know, trying out some new tactics, some new training Mm -hmm. tactics, doing a lot more hacking and getting out of the arena, just giving them the consistency of interaction every day, just because we can't go show and be in our normal routine doesn't mean that we have to remove the routine completely. And, All of us that work with thoroughbreds, whether they've been off the track for two weeks, two months, two years, whatever, we know that they thrive on a routine. So doing something with them every day is key. But there's a ton of like exercises and videos that you can find on YouTube, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's including poles and like grid work into your routine, whether it's a couple obstacles and trying Mm -hmm. to make your horse more bold. and familiar with the unfamiliar. We've got some a great article and some really good tips coming out in the spring issue of our magazine that tackles that kind of thing. So even though it was you know a topic that we picked for a different reason, it's going to be really relevant to this. And we're going to be populating our social media with ideas and suggestions and videos from other people who are doing things that might be helpful to the greater RRP trainers group.
2: I love that. And I definitely agree with like the confidence buildings. That's what I've been working on with my horse personally. And we're not in the makeover this year, but we've been taking things like tarps and encouraging to go towards things mm-hmm. that would normally make her bolt and spook and rewarding it through clicker training. So we've just gotten really creative with training during this time. And we're also looking at online shows as well, just to get the practice and routine in of what's it like to get prepared for a show, the grooming routine, um, going through patterns. So just to add to some other things as well, um, it's just a great time to kind of go back to the basics and really think about your training program as a whole. So I love what you guys are offering out there. For
3: sure. Yeah, that's such a good suggestion that you just made about the online shows too. And mm-hmm. even, you know, like if you can't go to your barn or if there's a trainer you've been wanting to work with, this might be a great time to reach out to them and introduce yourself and just ask, you know, I'm working with a horse for whatever your goal is, the makeover. Or mm-hmm. Otherwise, could I send you a video and would you be willing to give me some feedback? Absolutely. On that? I, I saw probably, a
2: lot of trainers doing that, of offering online yeah. education because they had to cancel their group lessons and you're helping a small uh-huh. business in that process. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love all that. So in preparation for the makeover, we have everything going on. You're offering all these great tips. Are you guys planning on just keeping constant communication through social media then on what to expect as we get closer to October?
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're keeping, you know, we always communicate a lot through social media. For those that are pointing toward the makeover, we'll also be in close contact through email, obviously, and also post everything on our website so people can Mm -hmm. check there. But yeah, we're just kind of, we really need to see what the next few weeks looks like so we can have a better idea of what the next few months looks like, and then we will do whatever we need to be supporting people. You know, one of the things that we changed this year, which I think is going to help people even though it wasn't done for this reason is we created a wait list this year. You know, we've had a lot of requests to create a wait list in the past and logistically we couldn't do it immediately. We had to get through a full makeover cycle to be able to institute that change, but we did that this year. So, you know, if people didn't sign up to apply to be a trainer for the makeover during that like December, January application period, but then they find themselves with a new horse on their hands and they would like this to be the goal for that horse. Now we've got the waitlist in place so they can contact us and ask to get the uh, waitlist application. They can fill that out, submit it, and Once they're approved, they'll be put on the wait list. Um, And as people scratch out of the makeover, they will be filling their spots. So that's another reason, you know, if someone's on the fence about maybe getting a horse off the track, there's a ton
2: of them that are going to be needing that in the next couple months. And,
3: you know, we're going to make sure that works for everyone.
2: I love that. And thank you guys so much for implementing that. It's going to be such a game changer for people and, you know, just add more people willing to do the makeover and we're rooting for it. We're excited to be there in October and we're, any way we can support you as well in this time, please let us know. We're happy to share anything on our social media for you.
3: Well, I really appreciate it. And ditto, you know, if there are people out there, even if you're not competing in the makeover, but you've got questions or ideas or suggestions or just, you know, like some uncertainty and you want to know how you can help during this time with off-track thoroughbreds in general, feel Mm -hmm. free to reach out to us and we're happy to help people connect and kind of make the most of the found time they have on their hands.
2: Absolutely. And it also might be kind of fun. If any of our listeners are doing creative things with their horses, put a video up on social media or take some pictures and tag the Retired Race First Radio as well. We'd love to share it and help people get some ideas during this time.
3: Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. I love it.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen. And we'll keep everyone posted and keep in the loop for more news on the makeover. Thanks again. Thank you. Cashel Company helps you
1: enjoy the ride with their full line of trail bags and yep, tush cushions. From candle bags to horn bags and everything in between, comfort and convenience on the trail is what Casual does best. To stay up to date with the latest products and news, follow Cashel Company on Facebook and Instagram, and to find their products, visit an authorized dealer or visit CashelCompany.com. I'm pleased to welcome to the show Lynn Reardon. She is the Executive Director of Lone Star Outreach to Place X Racers, and that abbreviated is Lope. Lynn has a belief that every X racehorse is waiting to be someone's special champion, don't we all? And you guys help at-risk racehorses find their second careers, and you work with kids. So, First of all, welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you for being on.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
1: Well, l- tell us a little bit about LOPE.
5: Well, LOPE is kind of this long-standing, evolving organization. Way back in the day, we were just thoroughbreds only. And then we slowly evolved into also taking in quarter horse sex racehorses because we're based in Texas, and there's a very strong quarter horse racing circuit here too. And then eventually over time, we were discovering that there were a lot of teens and young people who were interested in learning about horsemanship. And the horses that we take in, uh, particularly the war horses, we often take in horses that have run an extra long time. We found that they were great teachers. So over time, we've also developed the education program. So it's been a really interesting job for me. Uh, the organization has adapted over the years, and so have I. It's just been great experience.
1: You guys are, I see, accredited with the TCA, which is an awesome organization. And uh, tell us a little bit about with the quarter horses, I want to talk about the quarter horses and then the kids. Quarter horses, what is, what's the kind of difference, glaring differences between the, the quarter horses and the thoroughbreds that come off the track?
5: That's a great question. And I will explain to you right now how I discovered this in a very compelling way. So I had started this work a little bit on the East Coast and then moved to Texas, and I had never worked with a quarter horse racehorse before. And at the track, you know, with thoroughbreds, if they've run to age five or six, they're often pretty, I would say they have a fair amount of training in them from the track. You know, they usually have been conditioned. They know how to obviously steer fairly well, all these different things, right? And with quarter horse X racehorses, they tend to actually, in some ways, be greener because of the nature of their race. Their race is the equivalent in human terms of a fifty-meter dash. So it's all in the start. Whoever starts well usually wins the race. And if you watch a quarter horse race horse as as he crosses the finish line, you'll notice that you know it's the thoroughbred racers they very kind of leisurely they pull them up, no big deal. The quarter horses will just kind of keep running. And you'll see the jockeys <laughs> trying to pull them back because there's not as much nuance put into them. They're they're flat out short sprinters, incredibly fast, Um, but there's not maybe as much put into how they're conditioned and how they're set up because their race doesn't demand it. Obviously, it's an extremely athletic race and it takes a lot of a certain kind of conditioning, but they tend to actually have less of a foundation in some ways than the thoroughbreds off the track who've raced maybe till the same age. So the way I found this out was the very first quarter horse racehorse that we had come to Lope way back in the day. Super nice horse. He'd raced till about six. Hadn't had a ton of races, but he seemed to me like, hey, six-year-old, quiet, nice horse, really gentle on the ground. And I put him through the usual paces. I did some groundwork. I worked with him in the round pen. And then I went to mount after I felt I had prepared him enough. And he stood very nicely at the mounting block. I was very pleased. And the second that my leg came over and just brushed his side, he was like, boom, we need to be in Delaware now. Like he Oops. had no sense. And I, unfortunately we were in a small space and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I had no idea how extensive that button was. And that's because again, it's all about the start for them. Now, a lot of times what would happen is we would have quarter horses and thoroughbreds both at our at our organization for adoption. And inevitably the quarter horses would attract families. They'd be like, oh, I want a nice gentle quarter horse for my kid. And I'd be like, this horse will be super gentle after about 90 days training. But right now, the thoroughbred actually a little quieter. And so it was just kind of an interesting thing. I didn't expect that myself. I had this sort of con- kind of different conception of what a quarter horse would be. Um, the interesting. The good news is they all, they, they all have great temperaments. You know, they're well-bred, and they really are happy to learn to go slow. But the the very specific cues that are put on them are a little bit different than
1: what you'd expect. Like what? Like how do you mean?
5: Just the fact that if you... Before you do any work with them under saddle, you really want to put a lot of groundwork in first because they've been so conditioned that the second there's a leg or any request to move forward that it needs to be fast right now, ma'am, oh. because their, their, their success on the track is all about how quickly they can start, not how uh, gracefully they can start, not how nuanced they can start, but how fast can they start. So they tend to think that if you ask for any movement forward, they better just deliver it super fast. So it's kind of interesting.
1: No, th- this may be a little weird, but I, I've noticed that you know between quarter horses and thoroughbreds, the th- the quarter horses that I've worked with, not race horses, are tend to be less sensitive than an off the track thoroughbred. Are those off the track quarter horses? equally as sensitive as an off the track racehorse or are they a little like, cause they're, they're a little colder blood than not, uh, than a thoroughbred. Are they a little bit less of a reactionary type? Well, it's an interesting question. So the racing quarter
5: horses, of course, are appendixes. So they have thoroughbred in them more in the forefront of their oh, pedigree. Than the I average did not horse. know that. Yeah. So, and, th- and it actually makes for a great blend where you do have maybe the The bone of a quarter horse, you know, that kind of solid, stronger build. And certainly the quarter horse lines tend to produce horses of quieter temperament with the thoroughbred movement and kind of general pizzazz that the thoroughbred bloodline will bring to your pedigree. So, what's interesting about quarter horses in general that I didn't understand until I moved to Texas, honestly is that they have a lot of gradation in their different pedigrees as well. So, for example, if you're breeding a horse to be a barrel racer, that horse is going to have a lot more in common with a thoroughbred in terms of sensitivity and forward and eagerness to go then the horse that's maybe been trained to be a Western pleasure horse, both are quarter horses, but they're coming from very different lines. And in the appendix horses, the ones that are the race horses at the track, what's interesting about them, again, is they have that extreme, hey, I really need to go when you ask me to go because my whole career at the track is based on how quickly I can get out of that gate. There's simply not enough time in the race for any other strategy, right? You get out of the gate fast and you just run like heck for the finish line. But once they are kind of off the track and you've transitioned them well and kind of demonstrated to them that, Hey, it doesn't have to be that fast. I find that the quarter horses are really happy to know that they're like, Oh, it's like the other side of their pedigree kicks in and they're like, awesome. Like, I, I really like going slow. Now that you now that you mention it, that's a great, great option for me. So it's kind of, it's a fascinating blend. And the key is is to what we'll do is a lot of education For perspective adopters of the quarter horses saying, hey, these horses are great, and they are. They come from a great bloodline for temperament. You just have to give them a longer transition. We recommend X amount of months training, go slow, and then you'll have a really good horse. But don't just jump on them right off the track and expect them to go on a leisurely trail ride. These these horses need a little bit more transition time. But they're very quick to learn it. They're very happy to learn it. It's just that if you don't know that, you could end up being surprised like I was that day.
1: Well, and I think that's true of any, any horse, maybe that number one, definitely a horse that comes off the track, but number two, any horse that you throw your leg over, like you're not just going to giddy up, let's go, unless it's <laughs> your like, your BFFs horse that she's had for several years that you, you know, so you just have to exercise caution in all of the the times. So that's, that's, a, sounds pretty normal. So tell us a little bit about the work that you guys are doing with kids and racehorses. Yeah, and
5: resources. So the kid program is primarily done on the thoroughbred side. On the thoroughbred side, we tend to take in horses that are called war horses. You know, they've raced to an advanced age. They've raced a great many more times than question, the average racehorse.
1: Let me let's see, let's get the opinion out because everybody has a different definition of a war horse. What is Lopes' definition of a war horse?
5: Well, we're a little bit flexible on it, but the classic definition tends to be along the lines of fifty or more races having won 100,000 or more, that's an slash or, or being seven years older and above. And we'll take pretty much any blend of that. The only thing that we tend to back off is if it's a younger horse who's won $100,000, you might be a very talented horse. That to us is not necessarily a war horse. But mm-hmm. if you're a seven-year-old, And you run 50 times and you haven't won very much money. You're a war horse. You know, Mm -hmm. you you kind of won your money a hard way, a bucket of time. I I had a
1: horse come in for training, Joy, that had won. You're like, oh, my God, it won $60,000 for Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. That's really good. It raced 72 times. Oh
2: my
5: So that's
1: not that good. Try. A for effort.
5: No, a for no, effort. no, no. Total minor league. Yeah, that was the first war horse we had was a lot like that. Very similar to your guy. So so that's what we look at. And the horses that we're taking in that are kind of business category of war horses, they don't tend to be the ones that maybe have as popular a following. Maybe they've been kind of, you know, working class war horses. They might not have as fancy a pedigree. Usually the people who've had them at the track really care about them, but they don't have a lineup of people wanting to buy them to retrain and resell. So they may not be as commercially valuable. Of course they're very valuable to us and to the people who adopt them and to our students, but that's why we're reaching out to them, right? Because we feel like
1: they might need a little extra help that Loeb can provide. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, cool. This is, so how do you get the, the children to your place?
5: Well, what we do is we have a teen and youth internship program, and we tend to work with about six to eight teens and young girls, usually around 11 years old. These are girls who are interested in careers with horses. They maybe want to be veterinarians. Maybe they want to run a boarding facility. Uh, Many of them are equestrians. They might be interested in kind of being professional competitors or trainers at one point, and we bring them into the program and we teach them the fundamentals of groundwork and kind of training your eye to be aware of how a horse moves and carries his body and how to help that horse relax and move in more supple ways, which is a big deal for the war horses because they're so used to running a certain way that Mm -hmm. they often have a lot of braces, just like any athlete would. You know, if you took a 55-year-old quarterback and asked them to do ballet, it would probably be... A little bit difficult for them. So in that process, the girls learn a lot about horsemanship. They learn a lot about how to read a horse, how to see how a horse's personality really plays into how they learn, how to adapt what they're showing the horse to match that horse's personality, to match that horse's aptitude, and to help assess the horse overall. And they also help us with rehabbing the horses, horses that need to be hand-walked, need to be hosed, These girls are part of that. And what we found, it started out as a volunteer program, is these girls are getting a huge amount out of it. And it's become so popular that we have really, at this point, a waiting list. We're looking to expand the program. And the girls are taking it from what their parents tell us into school. You know, Several of them have done much better academically after coming through our program. Two of them changed their entire career focus after coming through our program. And some of the girls are competing at a high level. We had one of our interns last year got her USDF bronze at age 16. So we feel like some of these, these young ladies are going to be leaders in the field. And it all goes back to these war horses kind of being very unusual teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I'm assuming that the, the girls have to learn how to, I mean, you know, a horse rehabilitating from an injury and then you need it to be hand-walked may not be the most calm and sweet angel. <laughs>
5: Well, I make sure to prepare the girls and the horses so that nothing's too startling. Um, So they may be watching. Let's say the horse is is fairly fresh to the hand walking. They may not be hand walking him initially. I'll I'll be hand walking him and explaining what I'm doing, explaining how I'm helping that horse kind of get a little calmer without doing something that agitates him to the point where he might re-injure himself so they watch that and then maybe when he's two weeks into the hand walking process they might take over while I'm there you know I'll start leading him and then they'll lead them and so they get to they kind of get the sense of that they're supported by me that it's safe but that they also can get a sense of well what does that feel on the end of the lead rope when you're Mm -hmm. helping a horse that's rehabilitating how do you how do you help him so that's been kind of interesting yeah
1: so so, where in Texas are you guys? We're near Austin.
5: We're in a town called Driftwood, which is a little bit south and west of Austin.
1: Well, if you're ever coming up on, on I-35 up through Norman, you let me know. I'm in Oklahoma. But the website, if you guys are interested, I asked where you were just in case there's people around that are listening that would like to get their kids involved or get themselves involved. Uh, you can go to lopetx.org. Is that the best place? Yes, it is. All right. Perfect.
2: LopeTX.org. And I mean, Joy, would you agree we've learned something today? I feel like we learned a lot, especially I had no idea that quarter horses had thoroughbred in them to race. And I'm just excited to get more information on that. That's interesting. I know. I know. And you, you
1: guys, uh, but real quick, how many horses do you all have for adoption right now? We have six for adoption right now. Six oh. up for adoption. Well, I right. mean, there's your yeah. there's your group right there. Lynn Reardon from Lope. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Great. Thank you so much. It was a great talking to both of you. Let us know if we can ever do anything to help you all. We'll do. Take care. And from the
3: back of the pack on the outside, commanding curve is taken second, but California Chrome shines right in the. And now it's time for
0: the New Vocations Winter Circle Adoptable Horse of the Week.
2: Well, of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Retired Racehorse Radio without some news from New Vocations with our very favorite person, Sarah Coleman. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So how is New Vocations surviving all this fun stuff going on in the news?
6: You know, I think it's kind of the way all of us are are sort of approaching this is we just know we have to adjust and it's mm-hmm. trying to think a little bit outside the box to figure out how we can, you know, continue on our mission of rehabbing, retraining, rehoming resources and, of course, getting them out the door into their new homes. And we're in a little bit of a unique situation because, of course, people are home. They're on their social media a lot more. So our marketing guru, uh, Erica, has been Really, really doing a great job with publishing our horses that we have available. But we are offering a couple of different options for our trainers, and it kind of depends on their location. So if you'll remember, we have Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Kentucky, and Louisiana. And each of those states are in a little bit of a different situation. Here in Kentucky, at least ag in particular, is business as usual. Our barns are allowed to stay open. We're allowed to have, you know, limited visitors. Is what our mm-hmm. farm has restricted it to. But in New York, you know, our trainer up there had to had to completely close her doors for, I think it's 30 days. So we are offering a couple different opportunities. If no one is comfortable, a potential adopter is not comfortable to come to the farm. We absolutely understand that. So we offer some different video conferencing opportunities like FaceTime and whatsapp and Facebook so that they can see the potential horse that they're interested in go also ask our trainers any questions that they have this morning we do our our Monday morning meeting at nine am with our core team and we were reassured once again that you know all of our products and services are still going to arrive to all of the farms including you know veterinarians, farriers, feed, which is what we were pretty much mostly concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very reassured to hear that all that is, you know, proceeding pretty much as business as usual with, of course, some some restrictions and, and uh, adjustments. But um, Leandra, I know for sure had mentioned this morning that she definitely has not had any kind of slowdown in email interest about the horses, <laughs> which is wonderful. And we definitely hope that you know, maybe we can create create a, a competition with the quarantine in the name. that's who gets their quarantine cutie at the end of the month or something oh, like that. I so. love
2: that. That's fun.
6: <laughs> so, but we are, you know, we try very hard to, to adjust to everybody's schedules and we know that everybody's very uncertain. So we definitely try to reassure people as they're asking questions about our horses and our operations and things like that. So we try to be as transparent as possible.
2: I love all of that. And it's amazing how technology during this time, it's just so important for us to be able to use it. I love you guys are still adopting out horses and going through if people can't adopt right now. Are there any ways they can help new vocations, maybe through donations or anything like that?
6: Absolutely, absolutely. We do have a donate button on our on our website which is newvocations.org and from there they can actually specify if they want to do a memorial donation in the name of, you know, their trainer or a horse or if they want to donate to a stall or you know, our rehab horses, they have a whole bunch of different options that we like to try to offer people something that resonates with them. You know, not everybody wants to be like, oh, I'm paying somebody's salary. You know, that's not really exciting. But if you can have a brick with your horse's name on it, I mean, that's certainly what I would be more inclined to do. So that then hopefully if they ever come out and visit us, which our tours, unfortunately, right now are on hold, but if they do come out to visit us, they could see their brick.
2: Perfect. How much fun. Thank you so much, Sarah. Make sure to check out horseadoption.com to see all the quarantine cuties that are available and make your donations if you can. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well,
1: Leandra, let's get right to talking about the horse that we are going to highlight for your quarantine cutie this week. And it is a horse named Get Thee Behind Me. I love that name. Tell us about Get Thee Behind Me.
0: Get thee behind me or Theo, as we like to call him around the barn, because I can get a little bit of a mouthful to say all, <laughs> all at once. Can that could get could be your behind competition me? right there. Yeah, yeah, as quickly as you can, multiple times, say his name. <sighs> and if not, you can just call him Theo. He stands at sixteen one. He's a 2016. It's, I'm still getting used to calling the 2016's four-year-old.
1: Oh, my God. That's weird, right?
0: Is, that's the case. Yep. But he, he's a horse who's really transformed, has gone from caterpillar to butterfly all in the time that we've had him. He has a really cool lineage. If anybody's interested in fancy horses or sort of spotlight names, his sire is English Channel, who has, we've already had some horses in the program who are sired by English Channel and they they usually have really lovely personalities, really big shoulders, lots of outstanding features. But English Channel himself was a $5.3 million earner. And so that's just dad's side of the family. And on mom's side, you have AP and D and some really outstanding horses to the likes of that. So fancy family, lovely horse that we have here now. But when he first came, we were working on a lot of really basic things like clearing up some ulcers that he had, shutting him out. Even in the pictures that we have up online, he was still gaining weight. He continues to, but he, you know, it's an evolution process. But given that, I think that some people could have easily judged this book by the cover when he first came in and maybe not thought much of him. I even was surprised when I started working with him. He was such a wonderful mover under a saddle, and I think in a classic equestrian sense, I know a lot of us have like lower back pain or little aches and pains that we have. So oftentimes I am in a little half seat when I ride just to get off their backs because it's good for the babies to get off their, their backs while they're developing, but also selfishly because a lot of times my lower back would be in pain. And this, I always you like, if you see me sitting on a horse chances are they're super smooth to ride. And that is exactly the case with him. I was so blown away. Even when he was super goofy and throwing his head around when I started him, he was super smooth and didn't take a a bad step out of place. And now as he's gotten sort of the goofiness out of him a bit, there's nothing but shining prospect that you feel when you're riding him. He's just such a neat horse. He's one that really, I think, has a wow factor, and I just cannot wait to see how he does and who he goes to and what he what he does because I, I just know it's going to be incredible.
1: You know he does watching you ride him, and then looking at the pictures, he does look like he'd make a nice little sporty jumper. So mm-hmm. just the way that he's very compact and built, and kind of underneath himself already. So uh, I definitely think he's he's good for that. So hey, his adorable chestnut with a very unique kind of. St- stripe down his face. And, uh, you Mm -hmm. can check him out at horseadoption.com And his name is get the behind me or Theo. Now real quick, we got to get a training tip because people love hearing training tips from you. And uh, I, you know, we started a little bit about last time about what is kind of the first things that you do with the horse Mm -hmm. when you get him in. The next thing I would ask you about is the first ride. When you have your first ride on one of these guys, What does that look like? What are your expectations? Low, very low. You should (laughs) set
0: your standards low for the first ride. And I think getting to know your horse as an individual matters a lot because even in some of the preliminary groundwork we do, you can suss out who is going to be of what sort of general mindset. So there are some horses you can... And of course, this depends largely on the rider's comfort level too, but there are some horses, I'll, I'll say in my perspective, that I feel more comfortable saying, I'm just going to swing a leg on you and see see what happens. And then other ones, I say, well, you know, maybe I want to be a little more conservative. Maybe I want to lunge you and then get on. But basically, once you're on that first ride, I would recommend Just playing around. Um, Again, set your standards really low, but wiggle your reins. I would always recommend starting with as little pressure as possible because it's harder to get back that sensitivity rather than start with it. Like you want to start with just a little bit and then just ask for a little bit more at a time and increment until you get the response you would like. But things like how does this horse turn? Is he sensitive to, does he you know, bend one way easily and not the other way? Because then you can identify issues of whether they don't have the bilateral balance. Are they stronger on one side? Do they grip really hard on one? Are they really sensitive? Are they not so sensitive? This is your time to figure out that foundation work that you're going to build on, identify issues that you can address, but really just get to know them. And it's you know, it kind of sounds like a joke when I say set set your standards really low, but the benefit of that being you you're going for that low-hanging fruit. You want the easy gains. You want to establish a trust bond, and you you just want them, if nothing else, to be able to enjoy their job. So you you shouldn't. Really rigid guidelines for them because they're going to help steer that. You're going to figure out along the way what you need to work on. But even sometimes, my first ride, especially if it's a horse who gets really tense right away, might be really short. It could be five minutes. I had one the other day who was quite volatile, you know, just sort of froze, and I could tell it was based out of a fear reaction. So, All I wanted from him was to walk in a circle, just walk, keeping feet on the ground, and feel that little bit of a sigh of relief where his muscles relax, and then I got off, and I rubbed him down, and he was looking and chewing, but he was expecting something stressful. And so I wanted to, at the very least, reassure him that our rides didn't have to be stressful because if they go in with that mindset, it's really hard to reverse that. And, and I know I'm sort of drawing on on about this and you could go into like the ways that their brain works versus ours and all of that. But No, no, no. This is remember. actually,
1: I mean, I'm going through a lot of this same stuff. I, I keep getting horses in from a rescue and hearing yeah. you talk like that, it confirms kind of what I'm doing because I rode a horse today for like eight minutes. And I was like, yeah. And that's good. You walked in, you trotted seven steps Woohoo! You know, without, cause you could tell that this mare is like a little bit skeptical about what's going on. And just to give her a positive day really changed. And so it's nice to hear that I'm, I'm kind of alongside with you. Cause you, you do are such a professional at this. So, uh, cool. No, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah. Set your expectations low. Your first ride doesn't have to be this magical, like, Huge walk trot canter both directions. You know, we all know those trainers who, you know, post, "Oh, look at this horse that came off the track," and then they're like walk trot canter jumping it on the first day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not realistic all of the time. You know, you right. you've seen those, right? Well, even if you look at our YouTube video, there are some
0: horses. I'll post. I'll you know call one of my staff members and say. Oh my gosh! Take a video. This is the first ride, but this horse has totally blown me away. Like we just have to grab this. You're always going to have progress after that ride, but you know, for us, we're trying to capture these snapshot moments. Some horses, you will be able to get those with it, but that's, you know, we work with a huge quantity of horses, so you can say, yeah, sure. There are some who you you'll be able to do a little bit more with but then there's some who just take a little bit longer but we have to remember too that for them e- even like they have a bigger area in their brain devoted to this the cerebellum the area of your brain that is responsible for movement so like the reason that baby horses can get up and run an hour after they're born like we can't do that as hu- humans when they remember a movement they remember it in the long term so you really want to make progress in the right sort of ways because it's a lot harder to undo that um, versus us. Like we, as humans, we require a lot of repetition in our movements to have that memory, but they remember it quick.
1: So it, horses, it's you know, remember- people always say elephants remember everything. BS. Like yeah. a horse has the best memory yeah. of anything. They remember something that happened to them, good or bad. Mostly bad. They'll remember something. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times, I always say you have to like a horse's brain is like a filing cabinet, right? And all the most recent pictures are in files right at the front. And so if you have to really push like that horse that you rode that had some tension and was expecting something bad, you may have to put a whole bunch of good pictures in front of those bad pictures to kind of push those bad memories to the back. And that's kind of how I like to think about where they how their brains are working. And so, you know, just put some good pictures in the front and do the best you can and, and be slow and be calm and be kind.
0: You always have later rides. I I will add just one other thing, because if you don't have a very rushed schedule for your horse, like sometimes I understand if you're like, I just want to get this out of the way, but because they are so acutely aware of their surroundings, because they're, you know, they're herd animals there. They need to have those instincts where they are hypersensitive to their environment and reading their environment. If you can have your first ride be on a fair weather day or, you know, a day where you won't have a lot of chaos in the ring or something like that. Set yourself up for success, not failure. You yeah. don't want to have all those scary, you know, confrontational things on the first ride. Get to know them a little bit more so that you can build that trust bond. You can have a partnership you'll you'll be thankful for it in the the long run you don't have to cowboy up right away there
1: there is always the future absolutely and these are the kind of horses you will adopt that have been through leandra over at new vocations again go check them out at horseadoption.com leandra you are a wealth of knowledge we really appreciate it thank you for coming on and for just letting us add in training tip questions
4: (laughs) thanks leandra thank you so
2: much for having me well, a huge congratulations to one of our auditors, Kimberly Watts, who won our Hashtag Inspired My Ride contest with Cavalli Club. Kim says, whether it's schooling or in the show ring, by an email or text, Amy Miller, my friend and trainer, has always inspired my ride. Through the years, cheers and tears. She keeps it real. So congrats oh. to Kim and Amy. You both have won the fabulous Spring box from Cavalli Club. And thank you guys for uplifting each other. That's what we're all about in this sport. So congratulations. You can find our show
1: notes and links to today's guests on the website of retiredracehorseradio.com. Like us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Retired racehorse Radio. And you can follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio.
2: You can email Jamie at Jamie at Horseradionetwork.com or email me at Joy at Horseradionetwork.com or hey, follow me. I
1: also have a new Facebook page, Joy. I probably should mention it right <gasps> down here. You got a new Facebook page? I started an actual business page. Um, it's Flyover Farm. All Flyover is all one word. Flyover Farm. Jamie Jennings, certified Monty Roberts instructor. So you can follow along with all the horses I've been training and all the horses I keep getting off the track. It's pretty thoroughbred centric. So I I just wanted to separate something for my family not to have to sit through millions of hours of horse videos. <laughs>
2: what a gift! You are giving them a gift.
1: <laughs> That's really awesome. Well,
2: make sure you guys follow Jamie at Flyover Farms on Facebook, and then you can follow me at Joy H. Equestrian on Instagram. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products and Casual Products. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Remember to set your goals high and love to learn from every ride. And spay, neuter, and geld. Bye, guys.